Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, Duncey. And the author is Dave Hamilton, and Dave joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Dave. Good evening to you, Steve. Great to have you with us all the way from St. Lucia in the West Indies, a uh, small island there, and we're grateful you're with us. It's nice to be here, and um, it's nice to be here and um, speaking to you from St. Lucia. Your book, Duncey, and we'll find out about the title in, a, in a, a bit, but here's what is, in general, the book is about West Indian Saga, which contains behavioral events and the ignorance of family members from past generations to each other, a legacy which needs to be seriously stopped. It's a historical fiction with some very, very complex emotional issues, uh, well, Dave, tell us about yourself and why you decided to write this book. Uh, well, Steve, uh, I am uh, born in the Caribbean many years ago, back in the late 50s. Um, I went to England and uh, joined my family, which I got to know my family at a uh, very late, uh, late date in my life. And uh, due to that, I saw the behavior and the behavior with my family and other families that talked about how they've been treated. Um, but I managed to survive and grow up and, uh, you know, all through my time with the family, I was one of these persons who was very difficult to learn uh, basics in school and uh, wise uh, leaving school and um, trying to find work and all that. I came out without no, uh, say, qualifications or such, but uh, was determined to get on in my life, um, although there were obstacles and certain things that was going on, I just felt that uh, I had to fight this because I remember uh, growing up what my uh, grandfather used to speak about as well, so I tried to, to remember those things and if I could follow through. Um, I uh, decided to write a book, and when I tried to explain this to some members of families and friends, they sort of uh, look down at me or laugh at me, and, you know, they make their funny comments. So I knew that I always pictured the situation of growing up and other people telling me their story, um, who's from the Caribbean, how they've been treated, and uh, the difference in the siblings that have been born in, in the countries like uh, United Kingdom, uh, Canada, um, America. They've been treated different. Uh, it's just a, a mentality that uh, the parents in those generations grew up with, that people who was born in these countries um, are, are better I suppose 
it's just a mentality with them that they're better than those who's born back in the Caribbean. So I sort of looked into that and I wanted to form a story around all this. Um, it took me time because I tried to do this book many, many years ago, but um, due to sort of uh, your qualifications and all that, you thought that it might not be possible. But uh, God knows everything is possible if you spiritually believe in yourself and spiritually think about the way life is going. So that was one of the ways I've dealt with this. Um, then it came to the computer, and many, as I said, I tried to do it many years back, but couldn't find the, the, the way of structuring this book until the computer came in and other things. So it was like I was meant to do this, but it was uh, the right time had to come. So with, with the computer and my dear wife and uh, a very good friend named Jerry, I decided to write and they began to edit my book. And this is how I managed to get on to doing that. Uh, I left school and I, I, I drove a truck and did other things to survive, yes. But uh, my main aim was one day I will write a book. Well, congratulations, Dave. Now, tell us about the titled Duncy. What's the significance of the title? Well, Steve, as I said, um, when I leave school, and it's, uh, it's the word dunce, Duncy is it's a, a slang. It's a name that the Caribbean use when you cannot read and write. And, you know, uh, normally people kids make jokes at you and say, Hey, boy, you're a dunce, you know, you you mean you can't pass that or you, you know, those, those sort of language sort of thing. Um, but the real word is dunce. In, I mean, they change it now, but the real word is dunce. But, it, you know, every Caribbean or many people have slangs that they throw at you. So I thought I'll use this word dunce for the title to throw people a bit, give a bit of excitement with the book, and they'll want to know what the meaning is. So with that, that's how I use the word dunce. As I said, you, you, you turn um, a negative situation into a positive situation. Tell us about Diddy, the main character. Well, Diddy, the main character in the book, is the unwanted child by the mother. Um, let's, let's put it this way. Um, in, in the late uh, 50s, they didn't, they didn't have sort of uh, blue movies or whatever to sort of arise, uh, arose um, sort of couples. But uh, in the Caribbean, you know, the atmosphere with rain, thunder, lightning, and the dark evenings as it starts to get dust, those sort of events brings on a sort of romantic evening. And uh, these two people got together. And uh, the we in, in the Caribbean, um, they sort of have different sort of classes, sort of things. You, you know, you have the really um, sort of middle class or upper class uh, family who um, would think um, than the, those who are yard boys who, who, who works in the garden and, and do all sorts of other things. But uh, the middle class family, it seems to sort of look down on them. So these two people got together. It was this uh, 
young man who was not in the same sort of class as the, the lady, young lady, and that moment, that special moment took them together and they created a child called Didi. So um, because of that, obviously the, um, the, the mother did not want this, so she did everything she could to sort of get rid of this child, but um, unfortunately, well, fortunately for the child, he grew, and unfortunately, this didn't happen for her, you see, so uh, it caused a lot of pain for her, because now, in them days as well, uh, once you put yourself in that sort of situation, the, fa the, the family, the father especially, is then on the child, she must be wed to this man, no matter what, because she's made a bed, so she has to lie in it, and this is where Didi is now become um, uh, problems in this family because it's what she didn't want, she got. The father who moved away from, got married and moved away to, to London and the grandparents brought up the child after the mother left the child um, for some months and went to England so he didn't know his parents and, uh, for a few years later. So when he got to know his parents, and he found out that was uh, his mother, this is where the abuse started, Didi. So, because, again, he was in a position where he couldn't read and write properly at a certain age, where the younger sister was more advanced than, than him. So that made her very cross. And the father, who was in the position where he was not able to read and write, so she didn't want the same sort of... Um, situation happening, uh, that the young boy, Didi, to, be gr to grow up in that sort of manner. So that caused her the frustration to get him to learn to read and write. So and not to be a dunce, as the book says. Diddy, though, Diddy found solace and comfort in a person, uh, Mrs. Gates, a white retired social worker. So... Uh, two different folks from two different backgrounds, two different races, uh, different in their economic status in the community. Uh, tell us about Mrs. Gates and why she did this. Uh, well, Steve, in every part of life, I don't know if you ever come across this, we always find an angel. When, um, I'm a spiritual person, and I believe that um, somebody or something will save you from the negativities that surround you. So Mrs. Gate um, was an English white woman, retired from her duties. Um, but when she did, he was because of these abuse and trying to, to um, run away, police got involved and everything. So the way that Mrs. Gates got into this is because she read about him in the papers. She had a, she had a, a, a friend um, who worked as a school mistress in the school that Diddy was going to. A friend called up to Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Gates and explained to her what this uh, young boy was going through. And let's remember, he was the only black child in the, the whole school sort of thing. So this sort of thing was a highlight to her. She, was, she wanted to find out more and get to know the culture and the, the person. So... She then introduced herself to the, the family, and when she introduced herself to the family, 
she tried to make the best in peace wise by saying that uh, the mother was in a situation where she was very um, frustrated because she had she had five other children also, so it was very frustrating for her. So uh, Mrs. Gates sort of got into the middle of that and was trying to reassure her that everything is going to be okay. Um, and by doing that, she was a, a, an angel to um, to Didi especially, but um, took, uh, well, she looked after the family in, in such a way that we you couldn't believe it. You know, nobody could believe that a stranger from a different culture would ever open up herself in a sense of being there for you and giving you the help that you are needed and the help you wanted, if you wanted it. And uh, that's how she came into this picture. You have some interesting messages in your novel, this historical fiction. Uh, one, is, one is believe in yourself. Uh, a key one for hard, very hard for some people, everything is only for a time and a season. So uh, things can change. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I want the nation to know that even though things uh, look a bit dull, tough, hard, and it's, I mean, we can turn to the Bible for all this sort of information as well. You have to go through and keep going through. And when you think there is no no stoppage or no, it's it's the way of life. It's the way you have to go through to get where you're going. And this is the reason why I, I brought that, sent, uh, put, put that in the book. You know, time, things don't um, happen for time. It, it, you, you go through a hard time and you get to the, end, the other end and you thank God. And I think when we do things like that, we have a hard time to start off and a rough time to start off. When we get to the other end, we appreciate that because we know how hard it was. And we appreciate those who surround us. But there are others out there who uh, deliberately try to use you to get where they are. And when they get to where they are, sometimes they just ignore you and they feel that they've done it on their own. So everything is only for time. And those people who do those sort of things, you know, there's always a, a knockback somewhere along the line. So always remember good. Um, good. If there's evil around you, try to sort of um, bear up with it because it's only there for a time. And sometimes those closest to you will try to destroy you. That's right. Uh, uh, funny enough, I tell you, um, I was um, just scanning through the Bible um, um, because uh, I know people, we all have family problems with, you know, with one another sort of thing, and I was scanning through the Bible some time ago, and I, it's Jeremiah um, 12, Verses six about your family against you. It will tell you strictly in that those verses um, that these are expected from your own your own sources. You know, people who are close to you, you think they are for you, but you know, you never know. You, it's just it just opens up. And again, we go back to everything is only for time. So if it's their time to do that to you, then you know their time. Is coming for something else, you know. You, 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 evil would always be around certain people because this is the way life is. Not everybody is for you. 
We've been listening to Dave Hamilton. He is the author of his book, Duncy. Dave, tell us how to get your book. Um, my book is published by Ex Libris in the United States. Um, it's, uh, you can get it on Amazon or on my website, site, hamiltondave.com. Um, yeah, so those are the I am here in St. Lucia trying to get Sunshine Bookshop to um, store my books. So if anyone around St. Lucia or in the Caribbean, and I'm trying to, you know, try to keep, see if I can get the books all out over the Caribbean because it's a very nice story for the Caribbean to, to look into. Um, as I say, the legacy of this book is trying to stop this, this legacy going, going on, get, going from generation to generation. So, you know, folks, you know, let's try and do something here. You know, read this book, see what memories of something that you cannot destroy. It's always there unless illness takes you in a certain way. But memories are always there. Forgiveness is a great thing because these things that um, happens around us, it's, it's, it's like a mental disease that they can't be helped. You know, so we got to sort of forgive, um, forgive those. But the book, um, as I said, is Ex Libra's and uh, Amazon, you can get it on there. Thank you, Dave, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you, sir. God bless. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live. Every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature, and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, 
Gander. And the author is Gerald Sislon. And Jerry joins us now, along with his wife, Pat, on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Jerry. Good morning. How are you today, Steve? Hello, Pat. Oh, good morning, Steve. Good to have you with us. Now, I want everyone to know that uh, Jerry's had a voice operation, and so uh, sometimes Pat might join in to uh, help explain some of the different aspects of his book, but we'll hear a lot from Jerry. Uh, Let me read a few things about Gander so everyone understands what this book is all about. Jerry says this, it's a good adventure thriller on the likeness of a good Robert Ludlum and Tom Clancy level. It is uh, fiction, but it's based on fact, on uh, Jerry's experiences through his many years in the military and in civilian service. He also says, Gander is a suspense thriller built on more realistic facts and truth than the fictional title it's labeled under. Uh, Join with the author as he leads you from the cowardly act of terrorism in the frozen northern Atlantic down through the Americas and the southern hemisphere, including Panama and South America, over into the mountains and deserts of the Middle East in pursuit of these terrorists. Well, that's quite an adventure, uh, just in that explanation, Jerry. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Pat, join in when you need to, and give us the reason why you decided to write Gander. Okay, Steve, uh, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but after I joined into the military during the draft, I've been traveling the world, and as such, had numerous experiences. And within my writings, be it Gander and my several other books, I'm using using it as the opportunity to bring to people what I've experienced as such. But I do my writing in a fictional sense, such as Gander is. But I leave it up to the reader to do their own interpretation of what is fact and what is real and bring it together in conclusion to the story itself. I enjoy writing, and after I retired from the military, they brought me back to work in civil service for another 17 years. So I've got a collection of um, journeys, adventures, and what have you around the world that I'm kind of enlightening you to. And there has some factual uh, basis to it. But once again, I did write a section, Steve. And you dedicated this book to the 101st Airborne Division. Now, why did you do that? That's correct. The 101st Airborne Division was a plane of soldiers that were returning from a peacekeeping mission in the Sinai back in the early part of December 1985. And upon their return, they stopped in Newfoundland, Gander, which is a stopover coming across the Atlantic Ocean as they were returning home for the Christmas holidays after completing their tour. During the takeoff of this flight of soldiers along with the crew, they were all unfortunately killed in an accident right there directly in Gander. So for the men that while the soldiers on their first airborne division, past, present, and the future, and all military members, I sat down and started writing a story. I had some insight from newspaper articles and a few reports I've seen from the military that enlightened me to write it in a fictional sense. 
and to try and bring to people's attention the possibility of terrorism throughout the world, and that we're not free from this, even at the time people are returning for the holidays. So we're not part of the story, even though I'm not trying to take away from uh, anything or bring somebody else into uh, being existence. I wrote it as fiction, but the basis, once again, it is pretty well true. Now, the story starts out in a, a much different kind of way. Uh, your first chapter begins with a ritual dating back to the Viking era. Now, tell us about that and uh, why you started your book that way. That's an interesting point. During my readings as a young man, I read the good books uh, from the Second World War, studying it, what have you, because I was very interested in and uh, two books, Mein Kampf and also The Rise of the Third Reich, it seemed to be that it was a German attitude that they would take their young people, men and women. That's very interesting. And they would take them up to the Scandinavian countries, and they would have them try to conceive a child on the grave of a, a northern Viking. And the idea of Hitler was that the spirit, the energy of that spirit in the grave, would enter into the conception that a child that would be born would have that spirit grow there. Well, I use that as the basis for the story in the uh, beginning of the prologue to uh, take two young people from the Northern Ireland area who went to conceive a child on a grave of a Viking that was buried up there. And you seem to... Uh have God watching over everything, uh, what's the, what kind of a theme is that? Well, as I brought God into it, and he's having his, his meeting with his, uh, all the spirits he summons into a room, that God is dissatisfied with the way things are going on earth. But God has made us, as I write, he's made a promise to us that we He'll give us our own uh, opportunity to determine our destiny in this world life, and he would not interfere. And then at the end of our lives, he returns us back to heaven. It's my theological beliefs and faith. So I entered out there where God has a meeting, and he has to come up with a solution to the problem that's occurring on earth, and that's terrorism. So he cannot interfere, but he can also influence the direction that things go. So God sends Scott into, back into this life and this earth to try and end the terrorism that's developing here in the end throughout the world. And that was the purpose for that, Steve. And, of course, you're using several characters uh, from your first book, Till the End of Time. Uh, that was, uh, how would you describe Till the End of Time as far as just in general? How would you describe that book? Well, Till the End of Time, and I thank you for asking, is a beautiful romantic thriller of two young people who meet in the 1950s when society doesn't accept uh, interracial relationships. Pat, in the story of Till the End of Time, is black, and Scott, who meets Pat, they fall in love, he's white. Well, they have to separate in, um, throughout the story in the book, and they have to separate when they're young. Well, I recreate those characters because they're so strong until the end of time that I bring them back in into gander as such. And they're 
reincarnated into life because God's going to send them along with very special characters that I call the angel of death, who is very personal and very humorous. I bring them back into Gander as such to do God's will on earth, but not to interfere in the sense of being, but to guide the people as such. That's about it right there. So Scott has a mission. Uh, he, his mission is somehow to stop terrorism? That is Scott's mission. That's correct, Steve. He's reincarnated and sent back into this life because God cannot stop it. But God can use his angels, such as Scott, and rear them into life to get this taken care of. And that's God's purpose mission. So he is the key character in Gander. He was also the key, one of the key characters until the end of time. So he's on a mission ordained by God to end the terrorism, stop it or thwart it as such, in book itself. So who are some of the key uh, uh, human characters that Scott influences? Well, Scott has to work with the uh, military to do this and uh, take him into a force where they will enter it. Well, and this terrorism going on. We have several key characters in the book that's um, from the Middle East. And I bring them into play and try to depict them as some of the characters that we know throughout our news media today. So that's what I'm going on that. It sounds like a thriller uh, with this theme of terrorism we're so familiar with, of course, today. It seems to be in the news all the time. And this goes on quite an adventure, though. You you kind of are on the move uh, in different parts of the world. Well, yes, that's correct, because the uh, crash of Gander, the plane, and lost those lives did occur up in uh, Gander, Newfoundland, like I said. But the terrorists, they escaped... And this was God is brought in with uh, General Johnson, who was also a character in the other book, to the end of time. And Pat is reincarnated, but only this time she comes in as Samantha. And the angel of death comes back in, but as God puts him back into this life, he's a character of a dog. And um, together, it's their mission and purpose to stop this terrorism as such. And they'll travel from the North Atlantic down through the Americas to include Panama down to South America and over into the Middle East with a very warm and surprising ending, a very uh, positive ending at the end of the book. So Gander, as you write, will transport you back to the 1980s when life, world peace, and stability are threatened by religious, theological, fanatical beliefs that people would rather follow than the will of God in one faith. So it is this evil scepter of hate that is trying to uh, stop this joyous reunion and, and bring pain into the lives as many as they can touch. Uh, it's certainly the battle between good and evil. That it is. That it is, Steve. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Can you please tell us how to get your book? Oh, it's available online, mainly Libris. You can just uh, punch in online to Libris. Um, the other big bookstores and the outlets, it's available there is also. Right at this point in time, it's not carried in any of the bookstores. So the best way to get it is on the website. And we got a website 
um, or the Gleavers, which is www.geraldsdeslongander.com. Um, they can, anybody can obtain it from there. It's also available on ebook and hardback and uh, soft cover as well. And Cislon for everyone is spelled C I S L O N. Well, Jerry, oh, thank yes. you so much for being with us. Oh, I thank you, Steve, for taking the time to interview me for this book. It's a beautiful book, it's a warm book as well. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. And learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Druggynet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Secrets in the Desert, a novel. And the author is Dana Schweitzer, and Dana joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Dana. Hello. Good to have you with us. Uh, Secrets in the Desert, uh, you say, is a story within a story, you also say this is an adventure story about a journey, a spiritual quest wrapped in romance. And we have these two characters, two professors. Well, one's a professor of anthropology and the other is an archaeologist. And uh, so that's the romance story. But it is uh, quite an adventure. And we'll find out what they're in search of uh, Dana, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to write this book. Well, uh, I am uh, uh, a mother, grandmother, um, but I was in in college uh, in a, a postgraduate study course for a master's degree, and 
Actually, the book came from a, a short story that I wrote as a response to a, a class in Christology. Uh, my master's degree is in uh, uh, pastoral ministry, and I'm also a spiritual director. All of these uh, things sort of came together, and uh, I wrote the book, um, as I said, beginning with a short story, and then expanded that because even after I'd finished the master's program, uh, the characters in this little short story kept sort of running around in my head, and I uh, kept adding to it, uh, adding more to it, and it became entertaining as well as um, teaching. Um, so it was a part of the study I was going through, but it was also um, a story that needed to be told. A story that needed to be told. That's a... <laughs> Sounds like a high priority that suddenly was thrust in, into your life. Yes, I would say so. Um, part of what led up to my going into a master's program was my own uh, search for uh, spiritual identity. Um, uh, and I think a lot of people these days are at that point in their lives, perhaps, where they are looking for uh, a spirituality, a centrality, a something something deeper than just our everyday come home, you know, uh, be with your family. All those things are good, but sometimes we are looking for something more. Well, let's talk about Dr. Fred Hainsworthy, a professor of anthropology. Tell us what makes Dr. Hainsworthy tick. What is he all about? Well, Dr. Uh, Hainsworthy is this um, young fellow. Well, he's in his 40s. Uh, he's been married once, doesn't have any children, as recently, uh, but he's been a... a in college or teaching in a college all of his life. And on this particular spring morning where we first meet him, he's walking across campus headed in a specific direction, and he suddenly realizes that he's spent his entire life sort of hiding behind a lectern and and that his life is ordinary, that there's not much to it and there ought to be something more out there. And... Uh, Within a very short period of time, he meets up with the second main character. So he's he's kind of an average guy. He doesn't know he's looking for anything. But it's that that there's something deeper out there. Now, this uh, archaeologist who he meets, Dr. Devon Livingston, the story starts out with her about a year of her life. Now, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, that beginning of the book. Okay, yes. Well, Dr. Devon Livingston is uh, an archaeologist. So these two are in the, uh, the same general area, but they don't come from exactly the same place. But they are similar in their lives. She also does not believe she's looking for anything. She spent her whole life um, doing 
her work in archaeology and pursuing her teaching career at that university. She reaches a point. She's actually finds that she's looking for something, has gone on an archaeological dig, and uh, is taken out into the desert with her uh, group who's uh, on this dig, and they are trying to help a group of tribesmen with the aftermath of a small earthquake. And she falls into a cave along with another person, and there she meets up with someone who brings to the surface things that she didn't think she was looking for. And it's her telling of this story of the adventures that surfaced after meeting with this person in the cave, in the desert cave, that makes up the, the total of the novel. Can you give us some kind of a hint who this person uh, is that she meets in the cave? Someone from the past? Actually, this person is uh, someone she has never met before. And she will only go for a brief period for the three days that they're in the cave in darkness. Uh, The person that she meets is called the Ancient One. And this is a person... It's a human being, uh, but for the three days that they are, she and her interpreter and this ancient one are trapped in the cave, um, all she senses or all she knows is the voices coming out of the dark and talking to her. And the voices and what they say leave delible impression on her. At the end of three days, they are all three rescued from the cave by the tribesmen and the other people in the party with her. And there's a... She discovers something that she didn't realize when they first hit the light. And that sends her off on another adventure because then the ancient one sort of seems to disappear, leaves the crowd, and it leaves a lot of questions behind, questions that may be answered in the novel. So she, throughout this uh, journey of of discovery, is more about her than discovering her spiritual self. Even though at the at the time she doesn't understand where the journey is taking her. Correct. It's totally one of those things where something happens to her. Uh, uh, actual physical thing, occurrence, happens. And from that comes the beginnings of the spiritual seeking for answers, uh, looking for why. Why why are we here? Why does this happen? Um, Looking at herself as a person, where she came from, who she is. Um, and that's all part of that journey, and it begins with this small meeting in the dark in a cave. And so Dr. Fred Hainsworthy um, meets up with her on this journey and goes with her on this kind of journey to discover herself? Uh, 
Dr. Hainsworthy listens. Is um, perhaps describe. He's trying to help her write down everything that she has learned during this time period. Uh, so all he is really doing for us, for the reader, is he's telling us what he heard her say throughout this entire book. Why is the message of searching for a spiritual center so important to you? I believe that this is what most people are doing, especially today. Um, I do a lot of work in uh, the work that I do as a, a director of religious education. I do a lot of work with young people. And when they're really little tiny guys, you know, everything's pretty mapped out for them. They're going to school. They're doing their stuff. But once kids get into high school in particular, they go on these internal spiritual journeys. And when they get on into college and into the young adult part of their lives, sometimes they hit these points in their lives. Things happen, uh, loss of uh, parents, loss of spouse, loss of children. It may be um, uh, horrific, horrendous things, or it may be something really small and tiny that will hit a person and it causes them to question what they are doing, who they are, how they fit in the world. Sometimes, I've had uh, several people mention to me they really liked the character of Devon Livingston because she doesn't have any attachment to any particular faith or, or belief system. She's kind of uh, an agnostic or maybe even uh, an atheist. Now, in your book, you describe this ancient one. Is this a holy person of some sort? Yes, actually it is. Is your book trying to point out that there's these kinds of people here today among us? Yes, that these people do exist, but they don't exist on some surreal plane. These are real people, maybe even people like myself who've had training in spiritual direction or training in pastoral ministry. Now, they may not be as different as I make the character out to be in the book, but that's for um, that's just for the purpose of bringing a little excitement to the book. But the reality is there are spiritual directors out there. They are available to people the people who may be searching in their own lives for direction. Is the concept, the principle of forgiveness, a theme in your book? Absolutely. Uh, it's a very big part of it. Um, forgiveness of the past and forgiveness of yourself. You know, here in the United States, we have a lot of programs that deal with that, of of looking at, at one's past journey and coming to this point of being able to forgive yourself for things that you've done that maybe you aren't too proud of. A lot of times, that's a lot of, of the journey that people take. And another theme, each person's search for God is unique. There's no general formula here. Absolutely. For every single character in the book, uh, for every single person out there, there is a, a journey, and it's always unique, 
and it's always particular to the person who is making the journey. And even though you find a spiritual director, even though you find somebody who might help you with your journey, um, and they may have things about their journey that's similar to yours, your journey is as unique as you are. In another message, you say, no life is ever lost in the eyes of God. Yes, correct. Uh, sometimes we, we live in a very judgmental world, and there are some good reasons to have all of this judgmentalism. But I think for those of us who are part of uh, the Judeo-Christian uh, background, we really believe that there is a God who, who created all human beings and that all human beings have value. Uh, it's written in all of our scriptures, and it's, it's present and it's there. And a lot of the other uh, philosophies and, and theologies that are existent in the world share these same points of view. Now, I'm, I'm not a, a, a master of other philosophies, only Christianity, but I've read enough of them to realize that there is some philosophy that goes to the value of human life. We've been listening to Dana Schweitzer. She's the author of her book, Secrets in the Desert, a novel. Dana, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you get the book through uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, and you can, of course, through Ex Libris. Thank you so much for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.